Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley, Harley-Davidson. Today's guest for our show is motorcycling great, Dan Reardon. Sit back and enjoy the ride. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Well, we, we sort of started our conversation before we even got into anything, but you do jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A little bit. They, they um, did it years and years ago uh, when I used to live in America. Yep. I happened to, to train at a gym. Um, I think it's classes Icon Sports. It might still be called that now. Yep. Uh, Charles Dow, that was his name. Um, and there was a, a BJJ place next door, Gracie one. Mm-hmm. And um, he pretty much introduced me to that. And I did that for, for a few years over there. I never really ran through the, the belt system. I was sort of yep. doing nogi a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I had to be pretty careful with riding and racing because mm. the teams don't really like it when you you hurt yourself doing something other than riding other road bikes. <laughs> yeah, so I did that for a bit uh, over there. And then uh, when I got back to Australia, I didn't really touch it until uh, a buddy of mine that I surf with, he's a, he's a stunt guy. Uh, just said, hey, I'm going to do some jiu-jitsu, are you keen? Yep. And I said, yeah, no worries. And it's um, just a little place in, in Burley and it's awesome. Yeah, right. So you're back into oh, once things well, open yeah. up again. Yeah, of yeah, course. I was doing it a fair bit. I was doing it a fair bit there. Um, depending on how busy my week was, I was yep. doing it like five days. Oh, jeez. Uh, some days not as much. Uh, like I don't want to com- – I don't really care to really compete in yep. it. Um, my joints aren't that great. Um, broke my thumb there not that long ago, mm. uh, but it's fun. It's it's really really good yeah, and good athletic. Yeah, yep. yeah. There's some there's some sneaky people around there. Like you, you yep. look at a guy and you don't know that he knows mm. what he does, and the next minute your arms above your head and you're sort of nearly going to sleep. What was you saying? You said just before curled up. Is it pretzel? Oh yeah, you get yeah, yeah you get tangled up like a pretzel. That's like it. that. and that, it's yeah, it's funny to be in that position, and you yep. always do. You know, you especially mm. when you start. You're that guy <laughs> all the yep. time, and then eventually, you know, after you spend a little bit of time, you're then doing that to other people yep. as well. Um, but the good thing about that gym, you roll. Doesn't matter if you're white, blue, purple, black. Doesn't matter. You roll with everybody, yep. uh, which is great. Um, and obviously, the more experienced guys, uh, they are mindful of the skill level that you actually are as well. Yeah, right. Uh, so they don't just rip an arm off and just give <laughs> it and give it back to you. Because they know? possibly quite like quite possibly could. Hundred percent, they could. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And you know they're only messing with you. Yeah, you know. But um, the gym's awesome. Um, there's a lot of gyms. I've actually got a. It's not close for me. I've still got to drive like 30 minutes yep. to go to, to this gym. Um, I passed maybe seven to oh, yeah. ten gyms on the way, you know what I mean? But this place is awesome. It's it's not – they have their sport element of it, yep. you know, for competing and bits and pieces. But I think it's just a really good group of people mm. and it's fun. I've, I've gone and trained at other gyms with that – with the uh, the team or with, um, you know, some of the, uh, the consistent guys as well. Yep. Uh, just a good bunch of people. And how was that compared to training in the States? Uh, the state stuff, again, it was a little bit – it's not the style. It's hard to say that the style's different. Um, just the way they go about it is a little bit different. Yep. Every instructor or every um, – whoever the black belt is and whoever yep. owns the gym has their particular style. And they they're obviously have their black belt under another one, right? Mm. So it's generally that style's been handed down to a particular – point and then they'll sort of create their own as well yep um so the style here is i don't know how to explain the style but it's good you know like it's it's good it's effective uh and it works you know so it's um it is a good feeling like it i don't know if you do jiu-jitsu you enjoy the occasional 
choking somebody out or making somebody <laughs> tap. You know, that's the whole yep. point of it, you yep. know. Um, it's a combat sport. It is a combat yeah. sport. You know, you've got to be – if you're on the receiving end and uh, you feel a joint you're going in a direction that's not supposed to go, yeah. you'd be smart about it. You just tap early. Yep. Um, occasionally people go to sleep and yep. it's not – it's their fault for not tapping. They should have tapped. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, I'm just pulling hard. Eventually, yep. your lights are going to go out. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time. And it happens. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, I'm, outside, I'm outside of that sport, but I've seen a fair bit now. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's probably one of the faster growing sports too. Yeah. And there's nothing it? more demoralizing than getting choked out by your own T-shirt or your own jumper. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that sucks. Yeah, it does. It really <laughs> would. As, as we sort of said before, this came on was... Mm. Um, like the whole pub pub fight scene now, mm-hmm. scary. You could have like yeah. the smallest of small people take out everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and you sort of see that. I think I remember uh, when I first went to America, it was probably 2007. The UFC was – it wasn't new, but it was yep. it was definitely gaining some traction. Yeah, right. Uh, and when I first got over there, I started to notice that is that there's a lot of people with us here. You go to a, a bar or a pub or whatever the yep. circumstance is – there's probably a lot of those people that actually train some sort of combative sport where they wouldn't have done that as much, yep. you know, years and years ago. You, you might get the odd guy, but because it's televised and because everyone can view it, you've got more people training. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't matter how shit you are at the start, if you keep trying something over and over again, you're eventually going to get good at it. Yep. You, mean, you can't look at a guy that's like big, heavily tatted, and you think, well, maybe that guy can fight. Mm. You know, it's, it can be anybody. Mm. You know it's just I mean? a repetitive process, isn't it? Totally. You learn from a repetitive yep. process. Yep, totally. And it'd be embarrassing. Imagine getting, you know, choked out in front of all your friends by a little guy that you thought was, and you were just yeah. picking on him, and you just turned around and, you know what I mean? It's cool. <laughs> it is, <laughs> it's really, yeah. It'd be terrible, but it's really cool to actually yeah, see. So 100%. It's yeah. like um, everything's changed changed in a way. So, yep. um, Now, you grew up around here, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. So where 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 did you come from? Like where sorry, where in Springwood, Gasland yeah, Springwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but yeah, you did grow up around here? Yeah, I grew up in um there's a little place called Logan Village. It's yep. probably about thirty minutes from here towards Tambourine Mountain. Yep. Uh I grew up there, I was in there for about fifteen years, went to the primary school there. All oh, right. And then um the high school I went to was what did I go? Trinity College. That was in uh that's in Bingley. Yeah. Yeah, private school. Yep. Shirt tucked in, socks pulled up, that <laughs> yeah. whole deal. And then uh, in grade 11 or grade 12, I switched schools to Chisholm, which is in Cornubia, which is not far from here as well. Yeah, right. But all in and around the, the Logan yep. area. Logan Hope at home was my... Uh, was your hangout. Was my hangout, Back yeah. before it changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. So, um, but yeah, really familiar with the area. And yep. I've sort of been obviously in this area, Gold Coast, uh, for majority of my life, yeah. And how, like, how did you get into bikes? Um... I think originally, like, when you're young, right, you don't – well, I guess when you're young, I guess you would request a bike. Maybe yep. every kid does at some stage. Yep. Uh, I don't really remember requesting a bike. I just remember having a bike. And I think – what I think is that my dad – so that my parents are from England. Really? And, yeah. Yep. yep. And he's from Liverpool. Mm. So um, – I don't think they really had the money to, and England's, well, it's not just, it's kind of a small place, but it's pretty compact, right? There's yep. not very people, many people that have properties over there and build your own tracks or whatever. It's it's a few that do. Uh, I think obviously when they come to Australia, they moved up from Sydney. Having a dirt bike, or well, he had a bike as well, but having, I think that 
he gave me a bike and wanted to go down that route that he wouldn't wanted to go down as a kid. Mm. So he sort of, that opportunity he just gave to me and I think he just went through the process as if it was him yeah. to an extent. You know, he wanted a bike when he was a kid, he couldn't have it, but, you know, so he gave it to us and then we sort of progressed through there. Yeah. Um, but for a long time, bikes were just a fun thing to do. You know, there was no competitive aspect of it. Did you have a property at Logan Village? Or? Yeah, we lived on, on five acres. So somewhere you could ride at least. Yeah. Casual ride? Yeah, yeah, yep. just casual ride. It yep. was just, I can't re- remember it that well. We'd had no track or anything, not not at that place there. Yep. We, we did move around Logan Village, but where I first started riding, there was no track. Uh, my parents believed that they, well, they thought they lived on a farm because they had one of every animal. Yeah, right. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, it was just, it was just for fun, really. Yep. Um, eventually we... Um, we had a track at, I think the second or third move that we had in in Logan Village. We we moved a couple around a little bit there, and that's by that time I'd I'd done a little bit of racing and and bits and pieces yeah. like that. Did, was there an outside influence into the racing, or was it just something you seen on TV, or how yeah, that? Um, no, again, natural I, progression. I, I honestly have no idea how I started my first race. I don't know. I yeah. I think that. I don't know. There was no Facebook. You know, I don't know. My dad just looked in the paper to see like a dirt bike track yeah. or something. You know, because my first track that I went to, my first race, I remember yeah. that because I cried. But it was, it was at Reedy Creek, the old wow. Reedy Creek down there. So yeah. that was my very first race down there. But I have no idea how I got there. What yeah. an intimidating place to go to for your first place, eh? Yeah. Well, I was I was on a little Pee Wee Fifty, okay. and I, I remember the reason I cried is because. Like I whole shot the race, yep. but I didn't know where to go. Oh, I know no. it was a track and it all links up, but I didn't yep. know, you know. So I was a bit worried that I was going to get <laughs> lost somewhere. Yep. Um, but since that point, you know, I was I spent a lot of my um, my younger years around that place and yep. and um, watched that track sort of evolve over the years. But yeah, 50, 60, 80, you know, through yep. the through the whole ranks. Yep. Through Sad the, to see that place go. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was a good spot. Remember, they used to have that Tuesday night practice and That's stuff. Awesome. Or it was just the place to be. You know, yep. it was so good to have a facility like that mm. close to the Gold Coast, or sure. you know, people would travel from Brisbane or wherever they just to be a part of that Tuesday night practice. It was amazing. Yeah, and you never know who would turn up. No, you know, everyone like the the amount of riders that turned up to that was yeah. incredible. Well, it's just there was nowhere else to do it. No, you know, there was. The one place you could ride at night time. Yep. Yeah, and think of the guys at work as well. You know, they can't yeah. ride during the week generally. Uh, they've got to wait for the weekend. But, hey, if it's open Tuesday night, you're going to get heaps of people. Were you talented at the, st- were you talented at the start? Um, I was good but definitely wasn't great. Yeah. Um, when I say good, like I was at like a club level. Yep. I was, you know, I was winning stuff at a club level. Yep. Um, at a state level, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was um, – and this is like going back through like junior stuff. Yep. Um, occasionally I'd, I'd win here and there, but consistently, no, I wasn't like just waxing everybody. Yeah. Um, and national level, I only got, I never won a national championship as a kid. Yeah. Um, finished second one time on a 60. Not sure how that too? works. Do you remember who it was too? No. 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 No, got no idea. Long time ago. I was now. ten years old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I still got the trophy though. Wow. When I moved house, I was I was still looking at the trophy um, recently. So probably the only good thing about moving out. <laughs> yeah. To see some of Guns those old things. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Yep. Which was which was great. So, um, yeah, it's I don't know. It was one of those things. My parents would never really, they never really were real pushy. You yeah. know, it's um, 
and I didn't at a young age. You don't really understand that anyway. You know what I mean? You think that's the norm, no matter where it is. Mm. Um, but if I wanted to go for a ride, I really had to be like, "Come on, let's go for a ride." You know, it wasn't my dad like, "You need to do laps." You so you really I mean? wanted to? Yeah, yeah, it was just I just wanted to, but I didn't want to be fast. I didn't want to win anything. I just wanted to ride. You know, especially at a young age. Um, so and it wasn't probably until I was about. 14, 13, like I was, I was still pretty good, you know, yeah. um, but that's when I realised that this was actually a sport, that people are actually good at it, yeah. people got paid for it, people wanted to be a pro motocross guy, right? I didn't mm. know that until I was probably uh, 12, 13, 14 years old, so yeah. um, it was just cool to me to go back to school and tell me mates that I did half decent in a race on the weekend, you know, yeah. show them a photo here and there. Huge step to go on from, from that point to being a paid athlete, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. Yeah. And you know what's funny is that the biggest – you have these reality checks like along the way. Yeah. Um, and it, you would have a bigger reality check if you were a better junior. So if you're waxing everybody yep. in juniors, you think, this is easy, I'm going to make tons of cash. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Over a 10-year-old if that's <laughs> what they think about. But um, you get to a point where you turn 15 – and it happens a lot of sports, right? You, you, um, you're in the junior ranks um, or the amateur ranks or whatever it is and then you have to go pro. In Australia, when I went pro, there was no uh, under-19s class. There was no development class. There was no stepping stone. Mm-hmm. You finish, you know, 15. Once you turn 16, if you want to race pro, you race pro. That's that's the only option as a, at a national level. Yep. At a, um, you know, at a state level, you have your A, Bs and Cs that you jump into. But at a national level, that was it. And by that stage, I thought I was pretty good on a bike. You know, I thought I could probably do this. Um, could probably make some money, could be successful. Yep. Fucking hosed. Really? I remember Troy Carroll lapping me, like my first national, that I thought I was going to do pretty good. It was yep. at Conadale. I got lapped. Wow. And I was just like, man, like I thought I was fast. That's as fast yep. as I can go. And these guys lapped me, you know, so. So what was this one? This is this a 125, yeah. Yep. Yeah, 125, Conadale getting lapped. Troy pretty Carroll. demoralizing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty demoralizing. But, what a start. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it didn't really stop me. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'd, all I, I just remember that. I still remember that to this day. Yep. I don't know what my my mindset was after that. If it motivated me more, obviously it probably did. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just I remember getting lapped, and it just it's not fun. Um, and then I do remember. I think I was sixteen again, so maybe I was doing. I don't. I remember that year was only. I couldn't. We couldn't afford to do the entire series of the yep. Australian Motocross Championship. So were you just running father son, like is it? Yeah. No. Well, remember um, Brett Whale. It used to be a Wales Kawasaki yep. joint just down the road. He he was my first, I guess, major sponsor. Like I used to have someone that give me like a hat every now and again. Yep. And as a kid, that's like, man, I'm getting sponsored. Like I've got a hat. I've got hat. two hats now. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> yep. He was the first guy that actually helped us um, with the bikes and, and parts and that whole process. Yep. And that was when I was probably around about 12 years old. And so he helped me as, as I grew and developed and so did the, the sponsorship or so did the relationship. Yep. So um, he was also helping me when I jumped into the senior ranks from the start as well, which right. is great. You definitely can't do it. It's very, very difficult to do the entire thing by yourself. Yep. Uh, you do need some help. Um so yeah, he was he was part of that program, and and I remember I used to get there was like two years I had ankle injuries a lot, and I was in Penguin down I think it's called Penguin down in um, Tasmania. Yep. There was a race there, 
and I don't know if I was 16 or 17, but it was nearly the breaking point of where I just didn't think I could do it anymore. So I had another ankle injury on there. I was struggling to get into the top five. I'd swallowed the hole. I've been lapped by Troy, yep. you know, and I got a little bit better since then. So it must have been the year after. Uh, but I'd twist my ankle again, and it was the third or fourth time in a row. And I was nearly about to quit that day. I remember sitting in, I remember sitting next to my dad in the back of the van, and I just said to him, I just, I don't think I have what it takes. Mm. You know, I don't think I'm fast enough. I don't think I can't, I don't think I can be like these other guys, you know. Um, and that was another, I guess, reality check or defining moment that I can really recall on because I just, I was, so, I just, I was just about to quit. Wow. You know, um, and um, but I, I didn't. Um, I don't really remember why or what motivated me to come back again, but um, I did. And then since then, I believe Supercross was was that year, and I nearly won my first Supercross title that year. Yeah. So something clicked in that six month period. Something clicked. Whether I grasped Supercross a little bit better because um, I was pretty new to it as well. I used to I would just be petrified of jumping jumps as a kid too, by the way. So really? it's not like I just jumped on a supercross track and go, yeah. oh, yeah, I can jump everything. So like, you were actually scared of... of yeah. Certain, yeah, right. Yeah, I had no idea. Like if yeah. I take off a ramp, I had no idea where I was going to land. If I landed on the down ramp, it was a miracle. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like everybody wins. So, um, yeah, so supercross was one of those things that just didn't work initially, but I don't know what happened. It just did. So nearly won that title that year. That was when I think it was classes the SEL series maybe. Right. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it was. So what are we talking about, 2005 somewhere Yeah. Mid-2000. Yeah, mid yeah, yeah I, was, I think I was 17 at the time, um, but I didn't win. So what happened is I was leading the championship last round. Uh, I had a bike problem in my heat race. And halfway through the heat race, I couldn't get my bike. My bike just stopped for whatever reason. And they had some stupid rule where if you don't finish the heat race, mm -hmm. you don't get to go into LCQ. And if you don't get in the LCQ, you can't go to the main. So leading the championship, bike stopped. Didn't finish my heat race because I had to push my bike off. Yeah. They wouldn't allow me in the LCQ. So I, I sat in the stands and watched the championship go to somebody else. Oh. Um, this is your first year. That's my first year. Being confident yeah, in. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. My very first year, Supercross just happened to click for me that year. And um, yeah, had to sit in the stand and watch Championship disappear. Reality check again? Yeah, another one. So that was, um, I finished second in that, that Championship, yep. but it was pretty bit, that fucking stupid rule. But um, I had people give, wanting to give up their spot. So, right. and these guys, I didn't even know that, you know, I didn't really yep. know that well. I would see them, hey mate, how you doing? Yep. And they're like, dude, take my, take my LCQ spot. I didn't care. Yep. Yeah, I want to say McCoy, Dan McCoy offered his. It, there's a there's a bunch of really good guys that were just like, dude, take mine. And you it's a I mean? national title. A national title. Yeah, they thought the rule was stupid. Everyone thought the rule was stupid. Of course. Except for I think it was Marmont. I was racing him, Ryan. Mm. Obviously, he didn't think that rule was stupid. Did he win it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I would have been the same with him. It's like, ah, sorry, bud. For sure, you competitor. It is what it is. So, yep. um, yeah. So that was another pretty bitter uh, reality check. And moment. that would have been a one two five. One two five national yeah. championship. Yep. Oh, yep. what a kick in the guts. Yeah, big time. Yep. So, so, yeah. So, what happened after that? Um, after that, I, I think at that stage I was still I was so whale. Yep, whale's Casago still helped me out at the time. Um, then I did another year. I think I did another year on the two fifty. 
No, because I ended up winning a championship on the 250. So, yeah, it must have been the year after I won a championship. On the 250. On the 250. Yep. Motocross, I don't know where I finished motocross that year. And then the, the year after that, that's when I stepped up to the 450. That's and when it, you got the triple, wasn't it, basically? Yeah, and it wasn't until I stepped up to 450 that's when things really started to blossom for me. Yep. Um, you know, you'll hear guys that, let's um, just an avid rider, right? You know, if you give an option, you're going to ride 450 or 250. Doesn't matter how big they are, yep. what their talent is, people are going to pick and choose a bike, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And it's because they just feel a little bit more suited to that that particular bike. You know, 450 and 250, it's not just the fact that one goes faster than the other. There's a lot of other attributes that, that make those bikes different, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, just as soon as I got to a 450, things just really started to start shifting some gears. And obviously I started to mature a little bit as an athlete, but... Um, I think the combination of all that really started to blossom the the career a little bit. Were you were you always an athlete, or was there a time that that sort of clicked as well? Mm, no, I'm been always like an athlete and like yep. a painful one too. I'm super competitive. Yep. And I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just am. Just always like with everything. You know, it's just that bone in my body that doesn't matter what we're doing i just want to do it good <laughs> you know um it's so not that bad. was just that's just part of my dna i've just i've always been like that it's not a bad gene no it's not a bad gene but you do get like i'm not a bad loser but inside it just burns you know yep. what i mean like when it doesn't work out the way you want it to go yep um so yeah in terms of being an, an athlete or being competitive it's always been it's burning yeah it's always burning yep so but um so you had the 250 title, uh, what are we talking, probably five, six, yeah. six, something like that. So, um, no, six, seven was 450. So it must have been five. Five, five, five 250. The... the one I missed was four. 2004. Yep. Yeah. So it, it, it quickly progressed after. Once you felt confident in 04, obviously, it quickly progressed after that, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, again, it, I think the first year, I don't know if I signed with Kawasaki. Yeah, I think I did. My very first factory contract as, as, and as a young rider that's what you want you want the factory contract yep. you want you know there's only so many manufacturers so they're the factory teams and you want to be part of one of those teams yep. generally when you're young you don't care what colour it is you just want to be part of one of them yep. um, I was pretty loyal towards like Kawasaki for a long long time um, so 2006 I believe I signed with factory Cowie uh, motocross I finished second mm-hmm behind Craig Anderson that year um, and Supercross I won yeah um, and then year after that I won both of them year after that I was in America back to the st- over to the States yeah yeah wow that so when when did uh, Whaley finish up with you like was that soon as you went to the factory sort of thing it was obviously yeah I'm trying to I don't really have the best memory of this but he had yeah, he used to help the factory. There was a, obviously a, a strong relationship there Yep. because maybe he took over the factory team for quite some time. I'm not too sure. Whatever it was, there was a definitely a, a lap over between the two. Yep. Um, but I do remember being in Factory Cowie down in uh, Sydney uh, or Ride, I think it was, just uh, west of Sydney and going through their factory and being part of that program there. But it was only for one year. The other year I'm pretty sure it was with Whaley. So, yeah, there was a correlation there somewhere. Yep. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, after I went to America, then I was, when you, so when you're younger, you want to sign with any team you possibly can, 
you don't care what color it is. You know what I mean? Like, you were just somewhere there. And that yep. was mentality again, kind of when I went to America. Oh, really? You know I mean? yep. Yeah. Because I was under the impression, and it's true, is depending on the team, they have a, obviously a bigger array of teams. It doesn't matter what color your bike is. If you're going to do a team, they'll figure it out. Yep. You know what I mean? So it didn't really matter what color it's my bike support, is. It's a support, isn't it? It's a support yeah. network. Yep. Yeah. You need, you need good technicians. Um, you just need the team to have experience. You know, I rely on the team as much as they rely on me. You yep. know, so uh, when I went to America, I didn't care. And I I tested – I flew over there for a week and I sat down for five meetings with five different teams. All different colors? Mm-hmm. And just had a pick pretty yep. much of what I wanted. You went to Honda, didn't you? I did, yep. Yeah, Honda two fifty. Yep. So that was uh, that was Geico. Yep. Um, and I I remember I think it started with Cowie. So I went to Factory Cowie, um, rode Factory four fifty Cowie over there. I think Tim Ferry might have been riding that year. Yeah, right. Um, was it just sorry to interrupt you? Yeah. Was that much different from what you because you just come off winning the title on the 07 450. Yeah. Yep. Was that a huge platform to go to the Factory Cowie when you arrived? Over Do you there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's as that's as good as it gets. Any factory yep. team over there is, yep. is that is the pinnacle of – that's it. Yep. You can't go any higher than that. Yep. You know, so it is a little bit intimidating. Um, they uh, they expect you – you're employed to do a good job. Mm. If you don't, you're, you're not on the Christmas card list. Yep. So, pretty, yeah. So um, such depth to it. It's pretty um, – it's in and out, isn't it? With yeah. The, it's the very, very, very difficult. Um, so, yeah, I tested over there factory – 450, and then also they had a, uh, I think Motorsports was another 250 team, so I did two in one day. Flew to, is it North or South Carolina, where JGR? North maybe? Yeah, I think it might be North. Where the NASCAR people are. Yeah, I think it's North. North, yeah, so flew over there, had a meeting with those guys, checked that factory, which was amazing. Um, um, Test with Honda for two days, and then Suzuki for the last ones and we're, at, we're in talks with some others as well yep. but I, I, I did feel bad at the time because I went there thinking I wanted to be a 450 guy in hindsight I probably should have you yep. know looking back at it now uh, I ended up signing with the two with uh, Geico Honda at the time and um, all factory connection they were amazing amazing team uh, but I signed the contract still knowing I still had a test day the next day and so I don't know if you've been over where all the test... Yeah, you've been to the test I've tracks, I've been to the test right? tracks, yep. Yep. So they're all in the same area. Yep. One of them's just looking at the next, you yep. know. Uh, all these paths, perfect tracks, all the rest yep. of it. I was doing my second day of testing with Honda, signing the contract, knowing full well I could watch the dozer at Suzuki above me prepping the track for me the next day because it was in motocross season. So no one's riding Supercross that time of year. Yep. So I know that I'm going there next. And I don't think anyone knew other than me or my manager at the time, that that's what was happening. So I signed the contract, but I still rode the Suzuki the next yep. day. And the Suzuki was amazing too. You know it was a mean? good bike it was still. Amazing. And they were on factory Bridgestones back then, which were the pinnacle of yep. of the factory tyre. Yep. Um, what did yeah. you have at Geico tyre was? Uh, factory Dunlop. Dunlop, yep. yeah. Which is still amazing. And Dunlop obviously now is, is the best. It's gone up here. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's, uh, they're now the best. But they uh, there's factory tyres and then there's like factory, factory tyres, you know. Yep. Um, and uh, but yeah, it was a, a crazy week. Just flew over for for, and I was nineteen at the time, flying what, over there. What just, a place to jump into at nineteen, hey? Yeah. So yeah. It, it was, was a good experience. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. There's so many things that have happened like throughout the career that you can't even explain really to people. It's like a feeling, you know. That you just yep. got to sort of go through it. And 
Did you go there by yourself? Um, sort of. Not really. Like I, I went over there with a mechanic. Yep. Uh, the first year, second, no, second, first time I went over there with a practice mechanic. Uh, that was Wardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came over there with me and my trainer at the time, Andy. Well, actually, it was three of us. We were living in a house. Um, and then Greg, which was my manager at the time, he organized all the housing and stuff over there. So I pretty much, he organized everything. I, it was like I was just going to Sydney. Yeah. Packed a bag, landed at LAX, went there, already had a house sorted, just went straight into the house and started with the team the next week. I already had a car sorted, like nothing. Seamless. Just seamless. So yep. easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then we had the small group of, of three of us that live in a house. We would, every day we would do our thing, uh, go to the track. Their schedules were pretty uh, hectic over the, hectic over there. And um, and then from there you meet other people and you have other programs and, and so forth. So yeah, um, yeah, it's it's pretty um, it's pretty full on. Like it's just what the teams expect from you and how they lay out the day or the week is. You really got no time to do anything else. Yeah, really. you might have a day a week to have some free time, but you know the next day you're just getting hammered again. So you can't your free day can't be too extravagant it's not like you can go away on a small holiday or whatever you know so it's very very strict over yep. there for sure very by the book this is that yeah yeah was yep. that trainer that you had what mm-hmm. was his name uh the andy andy yep was he out at forest lake yep. do you remember mm-hmm. so back at the time when you when you were doing some stuff with him you you become a bit of an urban myth around like i was right. racing um let's call it Z grade supermoto at the time. I don't know if there's a grade below Z grade, but I was doing that that sort of thing, that program. Yeah. And I knew someone outside and in the network that knew, um, that knew Andy out at Forest Lane. Yep. And s- some of the training things that you had at the time, like we weren't fit or anything. We were just racing supermoto. Yeah. But to hear what you were doing at that time, yeah, it must have been a huge program. Yeah, and it was. And Andy, um, he was a bit of an innovator, you know. Like he would – he would spend a lot of time researching and trying to come up with ways that were the newest of new. Yep. You know, so I was the guinea pig for a lot of that stuff, you know. Um, but he had a good relationship with a lot of the trainers uh, where he used to train in the in America uh, and all over the world. Now, his training background is a little bit different. Right. But still, like, if you understand the body, you understand the body. You know, you're just sort of implementing different tasks for what needs to happen. So, um, yeah, some of the training stuff we do – was um, was hard work, but that was also in the days when, if you didn't throw up training, you weren't training hard enough. You know, right. like that was that sort of style for a little bit, um, and like everyone's thrown up from drinking alcohol, right? And that sucks. The next day you're being hungover, and that's no fun. Mm. Training up like at eleven o'clock in the morning because you've just been hammering on a treadmill—that is worse. Yeah, that's way worse to throw up at that time of day under those conditions you know you can't breathe because you, you know your heart rate's still going so fast and you're also throwing up at the same time yeah that sucks and that was what it was like that's what it was like yeah yep. that was my life it built you a massive core though didn't it it did like a core fitness to, to rely yeah. on yeah I, so it builds it can it can be damaging in a way right if you were to push an athlete for that long for so long you know for that it can be damaging uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't damaging to me but what i learned is how hard i can push my body where my limits are where I get close to my limit, you know, you learn a lot about yourself um, and you also, the relationship between athlete and trainer is uh, is really special as well. So if I was your trainer and we work together a lot, I would know when you're either milking it yep. or you are actually at your max. 
Mm. You don't have to say nothing. It'll be a small wrinkle in your face that I know, mm, he's trying pretty hard. Yep. Or if that wrinkle's not there, you're milking it, you can go harder. Yeah, there's more in you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, So that, that relationship is very important to, to be with a trainer as well. So that's why you see, uh, like a lot of athletes have consistent trainers. It's one of the most yep. consistent parts in the programs, I guess, Sam. Yeah, it's, I would say that it's consistent to always have a trainer. Sometimes trainer, athlete um, last for a few years and it's not because their methods have changed really. It's just like imagine living with a roommate yep. for so long. Sometimes people just get irritated. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, that hasn't really happened in my career. But I know just other guys that have been with trainers, they just change. They just want something fresh. Yep. You know, that happens with all sports. For sure. Mm. No matter coaches, trainers. Yeah, because you maybe. think that maybe if I go, let's say you just missed a title. You think that maybe if I change trainers that I'm going to win a title that year, mm-hmm. next year. Sometimes it happens. Most of the time it doesn't. It wasn't really the trainer. It was just, you know, things just maybe didn't click right before. Elements. Yep. Yeah, there's so many different aspects, you know, that can uh, can really upset that. But, yeah, that's sometimes why people will move from trainer to trainer. Yep, just trying to get that whatever it might be that last that little bit because it's so and, close and that's it? all we want we want we want half a percent yep. we want just a half a percent better than what we were yep. you know you can't ask for 10% because it's impossible you're already at your you're already at your max anyway or you're very very close to your max all yep. the time it's just tenths little yep. little bits little little bits yeah so we skipped we skipped a bit through to the states mm. back to Oz what was it like to go to a factory team just to start with? Like, obviously, you've done your own thing for so long. What mm-hmm. was it like to come just into a factory? Did it did it change much? It's so you got to look at it two different ways. If you, the very first time you go to a factory team, you're like, "This is wow! This is amazing! This is what I wanted! This is what I dreamed of!" Yep. They have what you unlimited stickers. What you know, like <laughs> it, you have you, you, everything is just done right. If you've been part of factory teams and you're you're signing with another one, you walk in there, depends on how rated you are as an athlete, if you're coming off multiple championships or you're a guy that they want or need, the walkthrough is a lot different. When you're young and you're unknown, it's this can be amazing for my career and I can't wait to tell everyone about it. When you're already established, it's like, can this team help me win another championship or not? Mm. I don't care how many shiny bits are sitting on the bench. If it's not going to help me win a championship, I'm not interested. You not know. that you're sceptical, but it's just there's you're educated yeah, by that point. Yeah, 100% aren't you? by that point. So depending on where you are in your career is really different on how you view a factory scene. Um, but majority of the cases, a factory scene, it will be better than the circumstance that you're probably originally in. Mm. They have more money. doesn't mean that you're getting all that money. It just means they have... Um, better resources, they can reach out to more people, they have an international relationship with with other people as well. Um, so that can really help your career as well. Yeah. So, and you've got to be really careful because a factory team have sponsors. Now, if it's a good factory team, the, their sponsors that they have, especially bike-related ones, are going to be really helpful towards the, the, the advantages that the bike can use, you know, power, um, handling, traction, you know, those three yeah. main things. If you have a team that um, that signs a deal with some hammered tie company because they get some more money in your pocket, you're never winning a championship because mm. you're gonna. They might as well come with elbow guards because you end up on the ground all the time. You know what I mean? Yep. So you've got to be smart in sort of relationship with that. So you've got to. All right, I can sign with this team, but they're using what? What is that tire? You never even yep. heard of it before. Just a rim protector. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yep. And you, you're not gonna win. There's you are not gonna win on that tire. Yep. No way. Not at, not at the level that everyone is at now. Yeah. 
So, did, did you enjoy that? Those sort of three seasons in a row. Did you enjoy that time of racing here, or was there heaps of pressure? Um, no, I enjoyed it because I was pretty young, you know. Yeah. So I would probably less enjoy it now, mm. but then I would do whatever, whatever it took, you know. Um, that was uh, that was just part of my that was my life. Yeah, it wasn't even part of my life. That was my life. Everything else was an accessory to that, you know. Um, so I think that was that was great. Yep. So obviously getting those three in a row. When you went when you went to the states, like did say Geico Honda? Did they turn it on for you? Same deal? Did they have all the engines laid on the bench? It was factory connection. Did they have the? Was it? Well, did they turn on a show for you? No, nah, well, they don't have to. It's not like Instagram, right, where everyone just looks amazing and then you look at them in real life and you're like, mm, you look way more happy. You know what I mean? Yep. They, that's, that's not a show. That's always – it's always like that. Yep. So they're mechanics. They have to um, – they have regiments in terms of how they build an engine to an extent. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's got to be laid out. It's got to be picture perfect. It's got to be neat. It's kind of like military. You know what yep. I mean? Like it's – Military school, where everything's got to be like perfect, clean all the time. Yep. You know what I mean? Can't be a mess. Um, so, yeah, there wasn't a show as such. It was just, this is how we are always. And and I didn't know that at first. I thought maybe it was a show. But then you see them six months down the track, it's still the same. Yep. You know, so that's just the way they are all the time. And when you went to JGR, you got the, obviously the NASCAR tour, the whole. Yeah, the whole lot. Yeah. That was amazing. Was that, it good? Yeah. That was, the factory was massive over there. What were uh, they on at that year on bikes? Were they uh, Yamaha? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, I believe they were Yamaha that year. But I was looking at all the wind tunnels, all the um, uh, the uh, engine dynos for the NASCARs. You know, it's funny, you go into like an engine dyno room for NASCAR yep. and there's just like holes in the roof and the wall, like when an engine's let go. Oh, really? Bits and the shit's just gone everywhere, you know? So, what, every- so in the dyno room? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So everyone's behind like protective, you know, glass, polycarb or, glass, yeah, or whatever. Yep. and all that sort of stuff. But um, but yeah, you see holes and bits and pieces where, yeah, a rod's gone or a valve's gone, and it's just punched a hole in the side of the case. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, JDR, the wind tunnel that stuff was cool. really cool as well. Um, so they had like replicas of, like, uh, scale would be probably one to four, maybe. I'm not sure exactly the scale, yep. but the scale was exactly the way it should be. Yep. Um, and so all wind tunnel stuff, aerodynamics. Um, like molds of the vehicles, you yeah, mean? Yeah, yep. it looks like a miniature car. Yeah, right. Like the car was a little bit smaller than this table. So they do that all in-house? Yeah, everything all in-house. Oh, yep. the budget must be huge, eh? Yeah. So, yep. And then obviously they got into motocross and yep, supercross. Yeah, they did that as and well. Then, yep. yep. So you went to Geico. Mm-hmm. First race uh, would have been a US Open. Oh, yeah, it was. Something. Yeah, 2007 that was. Yeah, US Open. Oh, yes, same, same year as you went yeah, there. Yeah, so as I went there... Um, that must have been a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, that was a quick turnaround. So I finished and then I was only in America for maybe a month riding a Honda pretty much straight away and then I did US Open. And yep. the team thought it would be great for me to do US Open as it's it's not a lot of pressure on that event. You're a 250, 450 guys race together. Yep. Be a good chance for me to pretty much wet my feet and, and race some of the guys. I have no idea who they are. Yep. You know, so. Did you have much of an interest in the sport over there at that time or were you just absorbed in what you did here? Uh, no, in terms of like, did I follow it? Yeah, like obviously, um, you ju- you just won three titles here. Did you yeah. know the competitors you were going to be going to compete? Most against? of them, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, I did know most of them, but then some of them I didn't, and that's another hard thing to another small reality check. So you're young, you think yep. you're the best. Um, you go over there, you know who the top top guys are, 
but then there's this other group of people you don't really know, but they're still really, really fast, mm. you know, and when they beat you, like, who's beating me again? You know, like, you, yep. it's not a top, the top guy's beating you too, but it's also this other guy that's beating you, and you don't, you didn't plan for that, you know, you didn't psychologically, you didn't plan for a guy that you don't know to still be beating you. Yep. You know, so that, in a weird way, kind of toughens you up pretty quickly because you think, like, I'm replaceable. Wow. You know, you're like, I'm, I'm here to win a, a title or I'm here to win races or I'm here to be that guy. But if there's another, there's the depth is so deep that you're, you're replaceable. I don't care how nice you are, you know, you're yep. replaceable. Man, that'd be crazy. So yeah, there's, and it's the same old thing. It doesn't matter. You always want to be better than your teammate. Yep. Um, regardless of how much your teammates getting paid. If he's getting paid less than you and he's beating you, you're in a world of hurt. Yep. Um, if he's getting paid less than you and you're beating him, so you should be. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's no breathing room ever. It's just there's no lights. There's nowhere to hide. There's no nothing. No, nah, there's nowhere to hide. Who was your teammate the first year? Uh, Jake Weimer. Oh, was it? So, yeah, first year because there's four of us. So there was Weimer, which I think was – was he West Coast? Tomac. Medi was a teammate of mine. Barsha was a teammate of mine. Yep. So I'm, I'm trying – I don't know which year it was, but it was in that, that Geico period. That sort of period, yep. Yeah. Um, Jeez, they had some riders through there, hey? Yeah. Uh, Wyndham. Bikes. Wyndham was on 450 yeah. then. Yep. He was an awesome dude. Um, but, uh, yeah, I come up with some pretty talented riders, you know, all part of the same team, yep. always practicing together, always doing our thing. Did that advance your skills? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's weird though. Like I, I still had skills that the other guys didn't have. They were just better at putting them all together consistently you know like i've seen so many guys come through like amateur kids just wreck themselves in the whoops because that just wasn't a thing they really grew up with and my whoop speed compared to a lot of the other guys was a lot better especially in the 250 class 450 is a little bit different you know you're going into a deeper stronger field but especially 250 it was always one of the top things that i was i was solid at but then eventually those guys when they stop grenading themselves in the whoops once they figure that part out, they're actually quite because they're pretty really quick through everywhere else. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and another thing is is weight. So when you're on a 250, those bikes are making huge amount of horsepower. Like I think recently, you know, going back a couple of years when I was on 250 again, they're pushing like 55 horsepower. Really? Like 250, which is just crazy. And um, that would have been probably like a factory bike back in your time would have been. I in, don't even know if it was that fast. That you know what I mean? But it was fast. Whatever they are, they're way 50 faster. 50 plus horsepower yeah, is a lot that's out of a that. lot. But then the 250 class is, is primarily a – well, I wouldn't say introduction class, but it's the the second-tier class, right? It's like the Dunlop series here or whatever they call it for the VS Supercars. Yep. Um, so the guys there are younger, but they're also a lot lighter. And so I struggled a little bit. I was trying to cut a lot of weight when I was over there to be competitive weight-wise because weight is power. Yep. You know, if you've got a 140-pound guy versus a guy like myself that was struggling to be at like 155 – you know, 15 pounds. Yep. Um, yeah, what's that, six, seven kilos or whatever it is? That's a lot for the bike to, to do. Yep. Especially when you're coming out of a corner, you've got to try to jump a big section, you know. So um, sometimes I would lack in that area. I'd have to carry a little bit more corner speed, but you're already on the limit anyway, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it was riding with everyone together like that is definitely something that um, everyone just gets faster. Yep. Nobody wants to be the slowest dude on a Tuesday at the test track. You know? No way. So, Doesn't lead into the weekend real well. Nah, not at all, especially when you've got to race that guy. If you're getting beaten by him all week and you've got to go race him on the weekend, mentally what are the chances you're going to beat him there? It's 
mentally you're probably already a little bit beat, you know. I was about to say, you're probably beat before you yeah. get home. Yeah, you gotta, you, you're always playing, your mind's always playing tricks on you like that, you yep. know. Sometimes you've got to talk yourself out of it and, you know, snap out of it and so forth. But it's just the process. The process of being an athlete at any level is very exhausting. Um, you know, people see it on, on TV or they, they might read about it and whatever and, oh, my God, you know, you're living the perfect life. You know, this is amazing. This is my dream. I'd love to be able to do that. But they have no idea all the other shit that you got to deal with on a daily basis, you know. Yeah. Um, you do have some amazing moments, but uh, you also have some really low moments as well. Uh, it's not good for a human being, you know. Um, it's not good psychologically. It's not good for your body. Um, but it's just that's the job that we chose and that's sort of what makes – when someone says, am I competitive, it's not just because you like to win stuff – it's how you handle injury, you know, how do you handle sponsorship, how do you handle when things don't go correctly, you know, what do you change, what do you alter in order to, to make that scenario the best you possibly can for you right then. You know, that was make a good athlete. Mm. So. Did you think you were a pretty well-rounded athlete? Um, I believe so, yeah. Like in, in that total package, like yeah, you said? Yeah, I, I believe I'm probably pretty well-rounded um, in terms of that. Um, I spend a bit of time just – I like to research a lot as well. Um so I try to make sure that I'm ready in, in every aspect that, that yep. or every curveball that gets thrown at you to an extent. Um, but, um, but yeah, but sometimes being well-rounded is, can have a negative aspect as well because you're skillful in multiple areas because you don't tend to put all the eggs in that one basket. Yep. You know, you're, you're leaving yourself a little bit short. So there's a lot of guys especially in America, that riding dirt bikes is the only thing they know. Yep. They are not good at anything else, not, but they don't want to be, you know what I mean? But that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. With me, I, I like to be you know, somewhat well-rounded at other aspects of life. Yep. And whether you think about it or not, you still put some energy, a little bit, even if it's 10% goes there or 10% goes somewhere else. You know, all of a sudden you've got eighty percent of that basket. You know, mm. compared to a guy that's willing to risk it all for at a hundred. You know, yep. so subconsciously it, it can can hurt you, um, but um, it is what it is. But as life goes on, once you get out of um, the program of the athletics thing, like that field, I guess that help you help you more totally as well. Yeah. So once you're out of that bubble, the bubble, of, yeah, the bubble of you're amazing. I'm going to give you heaps yep. of free stuff and pay you lots of money yep. forever, which doesn't happen. Mm. unless you're a very small percentage of people, um, then being well-rounded at other things is definitely better for your future, for sure. Because you like, and we'll get to that a bit later, but you're into guns. Like you've got Everything, a, yeah. you, you've got a, you're an adventurer basically, I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a sucker for life, you know yep. what I mean? Like I just, I, I enjoy, I enjoy enjoying life, yep. you know, and um, anything that I'm introduced to, yep. uh if I like it, I'll continue it and generally I'll give it a pretty good go at, you know. Yep. And I used to – when I was younger, I used to be more of a phase person. As I get a little bit older, I'm not as phasey. Like I still have a lot of things that I like to yep. participate in. But I still are quite um, – I pick them up a lot, you know. It's not like I tried to play the drums one day, buy a drum kit, buy some sticks and then just never touch the thing ever again. 
you know, it was if it was an instrument, let's say I wouldn't play the clarinet, you wouldn't play the clarinet. If it was an instrument, right? <laughs> yeah. Then I would I would practice that art for you know at least once a week, at least every couple of weeks, and I would just continue that. And that's what I do now. Like I whatever tools or toys or things that I have, uh, I spend time with them all yep. the time. So it's just so yeah. this is my show, so we'll go there anyway. Yeah. So now, what is the style? Like you you drift. Yep. Um, you obviously into guns. Mm-hmm. Rock climbing? Yeah. Um, obviously hiking. Yeah. What other stuff do you like? Because you delve into this. Uh, what was the thing you did with Ali the other week and Amanda? What was the Was uh, it uh, rock abseiling oh, or something? Oh, abseiling, yeah, yeah. So that like was – well, that, I guess you would class that as like canyoneering. Yeah. Um, so you've got – so you've got rock climbing. Mm-hmm. You've got abseiling yep. as such. Well, rock climbing's going up. Abseiling's going down. Of course. Um, canyoneering is mainly going down. Unless you're in a pinch and you need to go back up. Yep. But you're generally not in a position to climb the rock because it's too slippery. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to climb rope. Um, so, um, yeah, we uh, there's a place actually in Beachmont that's amazing. It's only like 20 minutes from my house. I've been there a few times. Right. Uh, you start at the top. There's already um, some bolts in rock up there that they the, a, a local club or whatever just must manage. And there's a couple of bolts. So you obviously check your anchors and bits and pieces like that. If you don't have bolts, you can use a tree. It's got to be a good tree. Um but yeah, you'll uh, throw some rope down, and then you use your your D cell device, whatever it is, um, yep. to um, to go down. Uh, depending on how many people are in your group, um, you'll go down one line, go down both both ropes. Yeah. Um, I was there with my partner, and then there was another girl there as well with with a buddy of mine. Uh, that they Amanda's done a little bit of it before, so I didn't yep. have to babysit her too much. I just need to make sure she's safe, and we just put precautions in so the people that have less, the people that haven't done it as often, mm-hmm. generally go right in the middle. So you have got a guy at the top to make sure their gear is sorted yep. and everything's correct. You got a guy at the bottom as their safety. Yep. Um, it's normally the guy that goes down first or last, as there there can be a little bit more risk. But if you're when I say risk is probably not the right word, but if you're doing it properly, there is the risk yep. is minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can just pick, pull your rope back through, and then you go to your next waterfall, and you just you just go down and down. You in this canyon, and um, we I think we did four or five that day. So, That's awesome. Yeah, it was really really good. The water is freezing. Was it? Yeah, it's probably about eight ten degrees maybe. Yeah right. Yep. And I was just in a little spring suit because you got to you got this time of year you got to wear a wetsuit just because of the water and the waterfalls and stuff. But it's amazing. It's it's so good just being out there. How'd you get into that? Um, originally, originally I got invited to go diving, so I'd never dove before. Yep. So this is another thing? This is another thing. Yep. So I'd never dove, this is going back a few years, I'd never dove before and I had a buddy that was a mechanic of mine. Yep. Um, and he said, hey, you want to come scuba diving? I said, sweet, never done it before. Yep. Ah, you'll be right. So he would go with a guy that we all know is a ex-military guy and he gave my mechanic friend gave uh, Joe the the rundown. Said, "Hey, look, Dan's never dove before, but he's quite a competent human. Um, give him a crash course. Look after him. He'd be sweet." So we went diving. Uh, we were down about sixteen meters from my first dive. Yep. I didn't really know the first thing, but you figure it out. And then Joe was really good because he'd put me into stressful scenarios straight away. He'd rip my mask off turn my reg like it would just put me in these scenarios and he, he prepped me for it before he went into the water he told me that he was going to do it he just didn't tell me when he was going to do it right. he wanted to see how to react under distress in those scenarios once 
things were okay and I didn't panic. And, um, you know, at that point I was probably 15 metres down anyway. Um, but once he figured out I didn't panic, then it was fine. You know, Dan's good to go. Yep. He's okay. So we kept swimming. Let's go. Yep. So it was, that was an awesome crash course into diving. Um, but with him, he also did some cannoning as well. And so a few years ago, he took me to this spot out of Beachmont. Yep. And I've been there a couple of times with him. Um, and then since then, I've got my own gear and um, we just do it occasionally ourselves or, or whatever we, yep. we have. So Just another string to the bow. Yeah, that's it. Yep. And what about the gun thing? Uh, the gun thing, I've probably always been uh, like attracted to firearms in some way. Yep. I don't know. Um, it's probably before I was even went to America. Uh, the gun process in Australia is, I wouldn't say qu- it's not difficult, it's just timely, you know. Yeah. It just takes time to to go through the process. It's a lot easier to get your A and B. So your A and B is your rifle and shotgun license, yep. depending on category that they are. And then your H is your handgun, yep. which takes about a, nearly about a year to go through that whole process. Really? So I uh, had my A and B for a little bit, had a couple of rifles, got a shotgun, and then um, was going through the process for my H. Um, and now, yeah, I've got a couple of handguns as well. And I'll probably shoot them more often. Um, and, uh, yeah. And is that for like mostly range shooting? Yeah, yeah. So you yep. can't you can't just take a handgun out to your mate's property and just shoot a no. tree. Like you'd get in a lot of trouble for that. Yep. Like um, you've probably done in America at some point. Yeah, I've been, like in America, I've been at. Uh, I guess it wasn't really like an expo, but I've got a couple of buddies that work in the police force over there. Yeah. And he's like, "Hey, we're going to go to this shooting. Call it an expo, right? We're going to go to the shooting expo." And well, yep, no worries. Um, you can have my yeah. Here's my AR. Here's he had a, uh, I think it was a Glock 17. Is this? So he gave me a holster, gave me a sling. We jump out of the car. Everyone's got whatever their preference is. Everyone's yep. normally got a rifle or a long arms over their over their shoulder, and then they've got mm. a holster with some sort of you know handgun. Everyone just walking around. There would be 200 people, all dressed exactly the same. So. You're looking at like you're going on the quick shades like you would at a, at a food expo, but everyone's yep. just strapped to the max. Wow! So then you go to a call it a range. There's a line of tape on the ground. Yep. Everyone knows you got to shoot in that direction. There's some steel targets and bits and pieces up up range. Uh, and there's also an opportunity to try some other other guns that you're not really familiar with or people that don't really have. Yep. And yeah, that's it. You well, are so pretty cruisy. There's one range officer, but the idea is if you turn up to events like that, you should know what you're doing. Yep. You know what I mean? You should know how to play safe. You're an enthusiast of some sort. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And everyone pretty has pretty much has the same mentality. You know, no one's flexing on anybody. You know, it's not the place to do that. Because if you did, someone would probably shoot you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a mutual respect amongst Totally. Yep. You know, so that's um, the environment is actually quite calm, not yep. stressful at all. Um, so, um, but yeah, and then when I got back here, I, I went through more of the process of, um, of going through that. So, like I said, sh- shooting handgun is quite something that I do regularly. You have to do that for your license anyway. You've got to do competition shoots. So that's the only really the only way you can actually have a handgun license unless it is your job. Oh, really? You have to do competitions. Yep. So you have to do X amount per year. Uh, you have to join a club um, and you've just got to stay up to date with everything. And you still enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep, still enjoy it. I still take people out every now and again as well. Yep. Um, there's a lot of people that don't have access to a handgun, never shot a handgun before, um, and just close friends. I generally have to trust the people. I 100% have to trust the people. Yep. And I have a little process I run through with people that have never shot before Yep. Um, to make sure that uh, things don't turn bad. Because I've had a couple of experiences where 
the person hanging on to the gun gets a little bit excited. That's their first time. It ends up being pointed the wrong way. Yep. Nothing bad happens, but definitely something could. Yep. So since then, uh, yeah, just have a bit of a process, but yeah. Yeah, it can, it can go wrong pretty quick. Very quick. And you know. accidentally can go wrong, especially yeah. depending on your handgun, the triggers can be super, super light, yep. you know? So especially after you fire one round, it's already chambered. So yep. all it takes is, oh, I don't know how much pounds it, pounds of pressure it takes for one of my handguns, but it's very light. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah. So that yep. round. If you sneeze, bang, you, the round's gone. Doesn't take much. No. What was the first handgun you shot? Um, first handgun was probably a Glock. It's pretty common along yep. that. Glock's a pretty cheap gun. Yep. Um, everyone sees it in the movies. Yeah, yeah. It yep. eats pretty much any ammo. Yep. Um, so <laughs> pretty durable. Yeah, sort of it is. Yep. Yeah, so a lot of gun ranges will have them. Yep. They, you know, in Australia, I think uh, a Glock is... Seven, eight hundred dollars, maybe. Yep. When my CZ, you know, it's fifteen, seven, fifteen, six, seventeen hundred, depending on what's in it. You know, for the same standard basic gun, you know. And that was CZ, was it? Yeah. Yep. So they're the ones that used to manufacture bikes as well. I'm pretty sure. Oh really? Yeah. Check it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. Huh? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I, I think they're a gun manufacturer. Then they went into bikes and right. continued with the gun and dropped the bikes. I think so. Right. I think. Yeah, the CZ is amazing. It is? Really, yeah. really good. Um, because in the gun competition world, you have like you have your classes yep. and you have your standard class. Is it standard? I think it's standard. I might be wrong. But it's pretty much how it comes out of the box. Yep. Right. So the Glock versus CZ is completely different in how they shoot. Wow. But they're still in the same class. The CZ's pushing in the next class, so like everything that's done to that gun, where the Glock is more of a service pistol. It's yep. light. If you're gonna, the CZ's heavy. You know, I wouldn't. If I was a uh, someone that I use it for work, I wouldn't want to carry that around all day. It's quite heavy. Yep. Glock is a lot lighter, um, so it's something you can carry, you know, with you all the time. That's why the police obviously use yeah. it and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, so. exactly. They're cheap, light. Yep. So why not? Pretty durable. You know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's super. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like a lot of people probably didn't know that you're into guns. No, it's uh, it's. Yeah, it's an interesting hobby, something that we don't know much of here compared to obviously being in the States and that. And yeah. First handgun I shot was a 357 Magnum. Right. And, yeah, it cut the back of my hand. As it, as oh, it right. Yeah, because yep. no experience. Yeah. Because so, yep. I'm not used to it. But, yep. yeah, it was um, yeah, good fun. It's a different feeling. I, I do remember when I thought guns were cool, mm -hmm. right, is I went to a shooting range in Vegas and I shot a – it might have just been an AK-47, having one of wow. those in Vegas, yeah. And I remember firing that and I was doing a short burst and I was just thinking, fuck being on the other end of this thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the people that have to go to war or the people that are in a firefight, yeah. that was just a the power that – and I was pretty young when I shot that gun, but the power – I was just amazed. Like you see it on TV and it doesn't feel like – he's like, oh, yeah, sweet, people shooting each other. Who really cares? Yeah. But that was the first one, you know, I was probably oh, uh, maybe 18 at the time. But that was the first realisation. It was like, oh, dude, you do not want to be on the other end of, of when someone's shooting you. And after being shooting for a while, you don't really think about it like yep. that. But, yeah, the realisation at first was just like, wow. And gun gun ownership is sort of like, uh, and people look at it their own way, of like doing martial arts, isn't it? Mm -hmm. A lot of people think, oh, you want is it because you want to fight or whatever? Yeah. But it's not that... At all. No. You know? No, it's not. But some people have guns because it's a, it's a hobby in terms they yep. like particular brands, you know, or they yep. they just they like the details of it. Some of them are like to shoot, so it's really important for the gun to, to work in a way that is perfect for their competition. Yep. Um, you know, um, you're if you want to get a license because you like guns, get a license because you like guns. Yep. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean 
everyone's got their particular reason why. Yep. Uh, in Australia, I, I like I do. I wish the rules in Australia for for licensed owners was a little bit more flexible in terms of the type of gun that you could have. Yep. But I don't disagree with the process of getting your gun license. Yep. I think that is important. I think because a lot of people think they want a license and realize it takes a year and you got to jump through all these hoops. A lot of them just like, ah, oh, this is too hard. Yep. That's fair enough. If it's too hard for you, then don't worry about it. So be it. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, but I just, I wish we had a little bit of flexibility of what we could, could have. For sure. Yeah. Makes sense. What did you learn about yourself in the States? What did I learn? Um, I probably, well, I didn't learn while I was in the States. Right. Whilst I was there, I didn't learn this. But yep. looking back now, in hindsight, yep. in hindsight, I learned that I was closer to my goal than I thought I was. And if I would have just put a little bit more effort, it could have dramatically changed the outcome. Yeah. So I was young, getting paid good money. Uh, I was spending a lot of money. I was in doing, the States? In the States. I was pretty much doing what I wanted to do. Um, I was living the dream, right, as people yeah. would say. If I would have saved a little bit of that money and not just blown it on what young people blow it on and just worked not harder, if I would have just worked a little bit smarter in the decisions that I had made – then there's a good chance that my career could have taken that next level. Yeah. Now, it's easy to say to people, oh, if I would have done this, because I hear it all the time. I see people that I saw, I saw some dude at the casino, like not, this was probably a few months ago. And I was there, it was someone's birthday. So I was there just hanging out. And some guy is hammered, comes up to me, and he's telling me that we used to race each other in the, uh, when we we're juniors or something. And he's like, I always tell my buddies, if I would have just stuck at it, if I had to race a little bit more, I'd be just doing what you're doing. Yeah. It's hard to like believe that guy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what 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 direction that yeah. he took that that I didn't. But I'm just really breaking down the small elements of what I was there for. Yeah. And I honestly believe I would just spend a little bit more effort in particular zones or areas that my career would have been um, not drastically different, but just it would have been that next level for yeah. sure. Yeah, I got a little bit distracted. And without getting into the figures, like when you went into Geico, mm -hmm. we're right on the GFC time. Yeah. Did you go, did you get paid? Yeah. You were oh, yeah. straight into a paid con. Like a, yeah, 100%. That was yeah. a real tough time to get, obviously. It was a very tricky time, yeah. yeah. If you, if I would have gone to the States uh, two or three years prior, it would have been a lot better. Yeah, for sure. Know, in, that, yep. in that case. But um, my first contract over there was the most money I've ever made. Even more than winning the... Yeah, titles and even everything. all the titles, all the bonuses yep. here in Australia, still just... First year in the 250 yeah, over there. way yep. more. And I'm 20 years old, you know? Yeah, it's pretty hard to keep straight at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, um, and that was, that was for two years. And you think it's going to last forever. That's the problem yep. when you're young, you think it's just going to last forever. Yeah, because you're just looking down here. Yeah, and that's what, it, you, you know, you realise it's when you're a little bit older, and I have, I have said this to people before, but I remember that Ross McWhorters, he's the team, he used to be the team owner oh, the manager of Factory Cowie. Mm -hmm. And he told me at a young, young age that we're just like light bulbs and that eventually we'll start to flicker and they'll just unscrew us and put a new one in. And I've never heard that. So Good saying though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And he told me this and I was like, what? Like this is my first factory team. And yeah. then he told me the light bulb analogy, you know. So, um, And it's true though. It is very, yeah. very true. And especially at a young age, you know, you're in a foreign country, you're, well, you're the dude with the accent, you know, so that... Yeah. 
is like shooting fish in the buckets on days. And then you've also – everyone wants to give you free shit all the time. Yep. Yeah, and lots of it because it's just the way that, that um, sponsors work over there versus how they work in Australia is completely different. Like I remember going with – No Fear was like a gear company that I was with for a while. Yeah. I remember going around their factory with a shopping trolley and I had to grab another shopping trolley because the thing was just a mountain of gear. And that was just to get me through the next month. Wow. You know, and it was like that all the time. And so, so the whole first few years of over there it was just constant. Yeah, yeah, yep. and like the gear companies and the you know, sponsors still do that anyway. You know, they they really they look after the athletes really good over there. But you know, you're young. Everyone tells you how good you are. You're getting you're getting good money. You're getting all this free product. You can yep. go where where majority of places that you want. And it's always weird. Like you don't the better you get or the more recognised you get, you know, the less you have to pay for shit. You know. Yep. Um, but if you're not careful, that will stop really, really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, sometimes it's not your fault. You might get injured or things doesn't work out or whatever. But as soon as that stops, it's really, really hard for your to process the fact that people just don't really want to know you anymore. And it's not because they you 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 got to realize you're not going to hide because you're a nice guy. You're hired to do a job. Yeah. And if you're not facilitating that job like you should be doing or that someone else can do. Well, then you're that light bulb that's just been unscrewed and then you're just sitting on the couch at home thinking, mm, I wonder what else I should do. You know what I mean? Like it can wow. happen really, really quickly. So that turns into one of those other reality check moments, doesn't it? Yeah. It happens pretty quick. Really, you know? really quickly, yeah. And you got a few injuries at the start too. Yeah, I did get a few know. injuries. I, like in terms of um, the injury base on motorsports or I guess uh, supercross and motocross, I think my injury list is smaller than others, yep. but we all get injured, you know, and that really yep. does set you back. Yep. Um, and I always tell people it's getting injured is not about the pain that you go through. Generally, it's not about like, yeah, it hurts for a little bit, but you get over it. It's how hard you've worked to get to a particular point and yep. then have to reset that. And you, it's pretty much you're starting from scratch. New baseline. Yep. Every time. And after you've done it five or six times and you've got to start from scratch again and again is – and that's why you look at Dean Wilson, right? Dude's a good human. Everyone loves him. Yep. Um, but where I – look at him and I respect him is not so much how much success that he's had is the fact that when he gets injured, he's able to go through that process again and again and again. And it gets so tiring, Yeah. but he just, he's able just to go through it again. And he has big injuries. Some of the injuries he has are quite big, you know, mm. so it's very timely and painful through that whole process. So yeah, that get, that gets exhausting. It really does. Do you have any long lasting ones yourself? Like obviously knees and shoulders are Probably yeah. the two prominent ones. Yeah, knees and shoulders, again, that, that will be with me forever. Like yeah. I don't have an ACL on my right knee because I've done that a few times. Um, I've discated shoulder, shoulders a bunch, so my shoulders are never that great. My Achilles will never be the same after snapping that. Yep. So it's just things that you live with. Just what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Now, how, how did you get like um, – you've got long-term sponsor relationships with most like most of your sponsors and that you've mm -hmm. had. Was that part of being like a well-rounded athlete, do you think? Like just – um, how did how does that come about for you? Do you think because like long term your, stuff? Yeah, a lot of yours are long term. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to do it when you're young because you don't understand the process. Yep. But I think a lot of mine, I think I was fortunate enough to be not too old to where I could understand what a sponsor is there for and how they use an athlete. Mm -hmm. So if you can understand the process and what you're there for, and then you can build a relationship around that as well. So being a good human is obviously part of it, right? Yeah. Um, but you've also got to do a good job. You've got to be marketable, you know. Yeah. Uh, you've got to come up with ideas as well. They, that's not part of your contract, but if you do come up with ideas, 
then that's great. You know, that's yep. another thing that they can add to. You give them back sort of yeah, thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And you got to be, you really got to be creative as well and you got to come up with ways that you can promote them. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, you go to a sponsor and all you really care about is how much they're going to pay you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but now it doesn't work like that. Like you, the money is one thing, but you've really got to work with that brand and figure out why or how they're going to market you in their particular role and how you can help them do that yep. as well. So um, there's got that it's a relationship. You know, they've got to give they've got to give you something and you've got to give them something. Yeah. And it's not all about how fast you were on the weekend. That's sometimes actually it's more relevant now that it doesn't matter how fast you were if you're still not relevant and you're st- you're still not marketable, you will make less money. Mm. So you have to be marketable in all aspects as well. And social is only one element of that. Yep. Just because you have heaps of Instagram followers, it will be appealing to some brands, but not all the brands. Yep. You know, so um, there's a lot of elements now than, that they there weren't, you know, a few years ago. The creative side of things. Like you're really creative with obviously you've got a GoPro. Have you got a GoPro deal? Or yeah, yeah, you have? yeah. So you've got the GoPro thing. You so I've been well, on the GoPro thing because yeah. I tell people this every now and again is um, I was – GoPro's first um, motorsport or two-wheel motorsport athlete back no. in 2000, uh, 2008, yeah. What, their first unit they made? So, first... No, so GoPro had been around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think originally it was from more of a surfing. That's how it like sort of started. Yep. But they introduced, they come into the sport in uh, 2008, I believe it was. Yep. And they're like, hey, Dan, do you want to wear a camera? I was like, yeah, sure, no worries. So they were paying us a little bit back then, yeah. um, but that's pretty much what stemmed the relationship from then to now. Really? Yeah. Mate, that's a long time. Yeah, long time. Yeah, I have a good relationship time. with those guys. Yep. Um, and there's a good product as well. You know, yeah. I don't have to try and jam it down someone's throat to tell you how good it is because everybody knows it's already good. Yep. You know what I mean? 100%. So I would use it regardless of endorsing it or not. Yep. So. And were you a creative person always? Because um, like your, your photo, like my job's photo and video. Yeah. But I look at your stuff, it's it's always really well done. Yeah, like I do – yeah, I do try and set up a particular – I don't understand photography that well. Right. I do a little bit mm-hmm. but I'm not as well as obviously someone that like yourself. Um, but I do definitely try to stand in the right spot, make yep. sure the light's correct. If it's not, I'll alter it. You know, yep. I will edit it afterwards. Um and bits and pieces. I, I think I've always sort of done that. Uh, yeah. Even when I, a lot of the videos that you see on my social, uh, I'll edit myself anyway. You know, um, music. So I grew up when I grew up. I grew up playing the drums and bits and pieces like that. And I have a thing for like rhythm and beat. And like when I listen to a song, someone's like, "Oh, this song is amazing." But if it doesn't resonate with me, the the beat of it, I don't yep. really care it's for gone. it. You know, yeah, the lyrics doesn't mean less to me than what actually the beat does. You know, and that's mm-hmm. just the way that I am. So even when you watch videos that have been edited, the music plays a big role into how that video is, is translated to somebody, well, sure. I believe, or especially to me. So, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff I do myself, I, I guess I'd be creative, you know, yep. but I'd never sell any – like I'd never charge anybody to go and shoot them or video them, you know what I mean? Like I just do it because it's fun and, yep. and whatnot, you know, so. Yeah, no, I just – I really appreciate what you do. I see right. it. I'm like, man, some of the – some of the stuff, some of the places you get to go, obviously, yeah, through the adventures that d- as well. definitely helps for sure. You know, yep. when you went to, uh, was it Mammoth the other year? Ah, uh, yeah, that was Christmas. Some yeah. of the stuff up there yep. and that, like, just great places to shoot, obviously, yeah. too. Like, obviously, if you're in a, you know, you've got these 
big forests or trees and you've got yep. a mountainside or a cliff or water or whatever, then it's quite easy to take. You can't take a shit photo, you no. know what I mean? Um, it's a little bit harder when you don't have a good backdrop yep. to try and sell a product and whatever. And whenever you sell a product to somebody, like generally if you see any influences on, on social, whether guy, girl, no matter if they're athlete or not, someone's always selling something. Yep. So you've just got to make it as organic as possible. Sell it without telling it, telling you that it's for sale. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you've got to try and be creative in that sort of aspect. And that's well. getting harder. It is getting harder. Because so many harder. people are like, there's so many different channels now. You yep. can see so many different um, different positions that you can stand and yep. it's it's getting hard. Yeah. Very, yeah, very it, hard. It is hard and it's so competitive. Yeah, for sure. Very competitive. Everyone's yeah. buying for their numbers and whatnot. Yep. So. For sure. Um, to 2012 you retired? So, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the first time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, I think it was 2012. Yep. So you ju- you you just had enough, basically. Yep. I was super bitter at sport. I yeah, was, yeah. I was real. I'd had enough. What I was the riding part, or just the whole as a everything, business? as a business? I was yeah. over it. I was on like a, I was on a shit team. I was not having good. I was disliking the bike, um, and I got really fed up with the whole light bulb scenario. Yeah, you know, with the sponsors and See, well and pieces. truly learnt that at that point. Yeah, yeah. I'd, 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 I just had enough. I was just tired. I just didn't want to do it anymore, and I just wanted to. I'd rather be a bricklayer, yep. you know, and get paid. We get paid to be bricklayer, thirty-five bucks an hour, whatever it is, yep. to stay in the sun, laying blocks all day. I would rather that life. I was just over it. Yeah, right. You know, um, and um, yeah, so I stopped. I was just burnt out, and I was done. How long did it? Because you obviously came back. How, how long before you rode again? Uh, so in three years, I rode twice. So Mate, I rode once for a magazine shoot. Yep. They wanted some guy that could jump a jump, so I put on some gear. I think I borrowed some gear. Yeah, and I rode, uh, did a magazine shoot. Because I'm guessing at that point no one's giving gear away. And nah, I didn't even ask for something. it. I yep. wouldn't give me gear, you know. Yep. So, um, And the other time I was at the track one day and an old buddy of mine bet me that I couldn't beat him because I hadn't rode for ages. So I just threw some gear on and did a, a two-lap time, ad- time, like time attack yep. deal and that was it. Beat him? Uh, I didn't beat him. The The deal was I couldn't get within a second of him because okay. he was racing all the time yep. and I hadn't rode a bike for ages. Yep. It was my track, but I still hadn't been there for a year and a half, you know yep. what I mean? But, yeah, I was within that second, so, no, he lost the bet. Yeah, cool. Yep. And was that enough to get you back into? No. No? No. I was happy to go home, sit on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing for work then. But, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I, <clears throat> I had no interest in it whatsoever. Yep. But the person who got me back was Whaley again, the guy, you know, Brett. Oh, really? So he got me back into the sport, and it's his fault that I'm still riding bikes. So how did he get you back? After, so, yeah, after so this he, time. So he rang me, um, <laughs> he rang me one day, and he's like, Reardon, there's, uh, it's so North Brisbane. Uh, oh, yeah, the North. North Brisbane. North uh, Brisbane Cup? Okay, yep, yep, North Brisbane Cup. There's a flat track race. Um, let's, uh, I want you to come race. Yep. Organise a bike, organise a gear. I didn't have a license. Yep. Do all that. Come and race. It'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah, well, sounds good. Can't wait. Hung up the phone. Pff, I ain't doing that. There's no way. I'm not going to yep. try and organise a bike and gear. That's way too hard. Yeah. Not interested. He rings me like a week before the event. Reardon, I've got your bike. I've paid for your entry. I've got your license. Just turn up with some gear. I'm like, ah, oh, all right, whale. So I go up to this North Brisbane car for bringing my gear. And uh, I think I've got some gear from when I raced in the States in 2009, some old Geico gear. Right. So that's what I'm racing in. So I get there and 
you know, they do the briefing or whatever. It's a flat track. And I did a little bit of flat track, so I kind of enjoy it. Like, it doesn't really take much effort to get ready for a bit of flat track. So I'm putting my gear on. I'm starting to get, like, a little bit nervous. Like, you know, I'm about to race again. I'll be competitive again, you know. And anyway, um, end up winning the event. Yeah. Um, had fun time. Yeah. And then uh, on the way home, actually, no, it was about a week later. I messaged him and I said, well, I don't, I don't think you realise what you've just done to me. I think I'm going to come back racing again. And um, he was just like, good. So you should. So he was all for it. So North yep. Brisbane Cup's around like November, December time. The season for Australia is probably starting in maybe March. Probably Pretty just guessing. Turnaround. Motocross, yep. yep. Yeah, quick turnaround. So straight away I borrowed a bike, a friend, a um, couple of years old Kawasaki thing, and yep. he weighs a lot. He's a lot heavier than me. So suspension was just rock hard. And then I yep. was just doing some motos and trying to get my bike fitness back up. Got to a point where I thought I was going pretty good. Yep, I'm going to be fast. I'm going to I'm going to do this by myself. Go to a Coolum Club Day. Get hosed by Dylan Long. Hose me, and yeah. I was just like, oh, I am not ready. I thought I was ready. I am not ready. Because yep. Dylan, super talented rider, wasn't winning races as much, but he was still like a top five guy. You know what I mean? Yep. And I was getting he hosed me. I couldn't even see him. So I was just like, I am not ready for this. So I went back to the drawing board. Started working a little bit harder, whatnot. Yep. And I got to the point where I'm like, well, I can't ride this this bike, you know, that I'm going to you – know, I can't yep. race this bike. So I went to – what did I do first? I went to Narang, you know, all the bike stalls yep. in a row. We just knocked on every – pretty much everything. Hey, look, I'm Dan. You might remember me. Like I used to be half decent on a bike, you know, the whole spiel. I want to come back racing. Can I get some support? No. Nah, no one wanted to give me any support. Some dodgy like race plan thing. It was not going to be beneficial to me at all. You know, I just yeah. did, wasn't. I don't think it was very smart for me to do that at the time. So no support there. Um, I reached out to all the factory teams. They were obviously already full. So, yeah. um, but then because I had reached out to them, they knew that I was wanted to come back, and uh, I just told them that I'd be faster than all their guys anyway. You know, I mean, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I played that card. Uh, one of the guys from CDR got hurt. Yeah. I don't know who got hurt that year. Anyway, so it's not, sorry, they didn't get hurt yet. They flew me down, or I flew down to uh, to do a test day. I had to tell the other two boys riding for the team that I was there for a magazine shoot so they didn't get all upset yeah. just in case I was stealing rides or whatever they would call it. So, um, yeah, did a test with those guys, did a motocross test, didn't do a supercross test, and they said, yep, we'll have you. You'll be the third guy. We're not paying you any money. We've got no budget. So you'll have bonuses, we'll give you bikes, yep. parts, whole thing. Sweet. And I was super motivated at that time. Like yep. I drove down to Sydney just to pick a bike up because I wanted it a few days earlier than what they were going to ship one up. So you're keen. I was super keen. Yep. Like I was the I was like the the eighteen year old Dan again, you know what I yep. mean? Like I would do whatever it took to yep. do that. So I did that. Like I hadn't trained and raced obviously for quite some time, but I was spending a lot of time, a lot of hours. Anyway, first round, I actually had a, a very first race. I qualified fifth, which I thought was pretty good in the 450 class. It's like it was like where I thought I expected myself to be. I yep. uh, had an electrical problem the first race. The second race, I was I think top three, top four, or whatever it was. So that was that was great. Anyway, second round, end up winning a race, and because I had so many people tell me that it wasn't going to happen. Really, there's yeah. doubters. Oh, that was. Yeah. 80% of people were thought there's no way. You know what I mean? That's, this can't happen. That's why no one wanted to give me a deal in the first place. And I can respect it. You know, I wasn't mad at it. I wasn't bitter at it. So, yeah, no one knew it was going to happen or could happen, you know. Um, motocross went pretty good. I did get injured that year. 
um, a little bit of motocross. But then Supercross come around and it win the championship. Yep. You know, so... Um, what a uh, turnaround. Yeah, a lot of people have heard, like, part of that story before, uh, and I've said this many times, but that out of all the championship one, that was my favourite, just because of what I had to go through from where it started to not anybody wanting to give you any help, you know. Um, and like I said, I wasn't bitter about it. Like, I can understand where they're coming from, again, because of the light, light bulb scenario. Like, why would you give a guy that's already done it before to come back? You know what I mean? Like, they, they couldn't see potential, I believe, probably yep. out of me. Um, but, hey, won a championship. And then since then... You know, I've still been quite competitive in the sport um, up until present, you know, so. And are you still, you're coming back in? Oh, yeah. Depends on, yeah. Well, yeah, I know it's a See weird time of year, but yeah, yeah the That's intention the was always to race this year again. Yamaha again? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah, I believe so. So we, uh, nothing's been formal, um, but uh, I just have a good relationship with those guys and yep. they understand what I'm, I'm doing. And I'm in that point where, uh, like last year I rode for CDR, the year before I didn't, I rode just with Yamaha. Um, so either or of those scenarios yep. works for me. So, um, yeah, I've got to think about like more of my future as well. So it's important for me to delegate my time towards what's more important. Yep. Um, but I'm still super competitive. I'm not burnt out. I'm not that bitter guy that I was in 2012 yet. Yep. You know, like I'm still enjoying like, it. I'm still enjoying it. You know, yep. as soon as I've always said, as soon as I stop enjoying it, I'm done. Doesn't yep. matter how fast I'm going. If, if I stop enjoying it, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. So. And still looks good. Like yeah. every, every like still still fast. Yeah, still fast. So that's like you can't. I don't. Know, I don't. I don't know how people can. Like I remember, the the amount of negative comments that people gave my scenario of going back to America. So <clears throat> when I um, when I come back racing, yeah, my first goal was to win a championship. Yeah. You know? uh, this is in 2015. The second goal was to go back to America. Yep. I really wanted to go back there. So. People, some people have heard this story again uh, before as well, but I um, I was trying to get a ride over there. I was ringing people and I pretty much told them, the teams over there, look, I'll fly over there, give me a bike. I guarantee I'll be faster than your fastest guy. I'll be faster than them, no doubt. Yeah. And they're just like, what? You know, and I was a little bit like, I don't know if I was or not. Yep. You know, I sort of believe that I could be, but there's definitely a chance that I wasn't going to be. Yep. So, but that gave me a foot in the door. Yeah. If they're like, if this silly Australian is going to pay for his own flights to come over here, and we just have to be at the track that we're going to be at anyway, to let him have a ride and see if he's actually any faster than they are, guys. There's going to be a bike. Why not? Yeah. So fair enough. I just I flew myself over there, used my points to fly over business because I I was supposed to ride that very first day I got there, so I made sure I had a good rest and and yep. whatnot. Turned out it rained that day, so I didn't need to use my business points. Oh, no. But the next day we went to a milestone track. And Milestone Supercross track is just like a – it's like A1 during the week. You know, you've got all the top guys. That's where yep. all the top guys ride during the week. So I'm on a – back on a 250 that I haven't rode for a very long time. I can't remember the last time I rode a 250. Um, and I wasn't faster that day. I was about half a second, 0.7 or so off the fastest time. I think AP was um, – he was going around there good. But they probably thought – well, we probably thought he was going to be slower than all the rest – you know what I mean? Like going yep. to a track that they ride all the time and so forth. Next day we went to the test track and they just built a new track. Um, so it was fresh for everybody. No one had ridden this track before. I thought, right, this is perfect. This is my chance to do it. And I was one of the first guys to jump a lot of the sections. Uh, I was quick in the whoops and I was fast for majority of the day, the fastest guy for majority of the day. Yep. And when we finished that, they pretty much sat me down and said, we want you on this team, but you're not going home. 
was like, what do you mean I'm not going home? I didn't pack for like two days. I said, yeah, if you want this, you're not going home. You got to stay. And I just went, all right. That was it. And you stayed? Yeah, I stayed. <laughs> and that was uh, Yamaha? Yeah. That yeah. was got, uh, that was Star. Star Yamaha? Yeah. And what, you, one season? Yeah, just one season. One season, yeah. there. Was that I, a good experience? Yeah, it was amazing, yeah. They're, it. they're awesome, those guys. I still have a good relationship with those guys as well. And, yeah, right. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, they wanted me back for a second year and yep. I said, no, I declined it just because I just didn't – I wasn't in the right headspace and yep. I felt they could have given it to somebody else. They were a little bit blown away. They said no because not many people say no to an opportunity like that. Sure. Um, but it didn't, it didn't feel that it was right for me to say yes because I didn't feel like I was putting my 100% effort in. Yep. Um, but, um, but yeah, great relationship with those guys and it was awesome. Would you go back and do a couple of like guest things if, if, if the opportunity arose, say a US Open or something? Um, like? Maybe something small, something that wouldn't require too much prep time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like if I was already fit, um, fitness, it's not a skill thing. You know what I mean, like it's not, you don't really forget how to ride. You spend, you know, maybe a month of riding and your skill level's back to where it was. Yeah. Uh, your fitness just takes a little bit longer depending on what that role was. For sure. Yeah, yep. I would go over there and do some guest stuff and have some fun. So like like the arena crossing, you go do that? And yeah. That sort of. Yeah, but arena cross, it depends on what it is because you guarantee you're going to get some amateur kid just going to slam you and try and swap some paint, you know it's what I mean? It's a clean-out sport, aren't Yeah, it? yeah, you know, so I'd be less than – I've just i done that for so long. Like I would do that to me too, you know what I mean? If there's some older, slower guy around the top of the berm, <laughs> I'd clean me out, you know, so. Do you enjoy that over there, the arena cross? Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It was yep. – it was like a step up from what our indoor scenario would be over here in Australia. Really? The indoor yep. racing, yeah. Yep. Yeah, the, the venue's a little bit bigger. Yep. Um, the jumps are bigger and whatnot, but um, yeah. Nice. Mm. Well, mate, we, we, I've got heaps to go, yeah. but we're on a time schedule. Yeah, so yeah. We, we'll have to, uh, we'll can it pretty much there. We can um, always come back. For sure. Yeah. I want to touch on two, you know. two things. Yep. Your other business that you're doing now. Oh, yeah. The drivers. Yep. Can we talk about that quickly? Yeah, for sure. So yep. what, what are you doing with that? So um, a couple of years ago, um, I got graded. you got to go through a grading process to be a stunt guy in Australia. Yep. And different parts of the world have different procedures in place. So I went through that whole process of doing that and I started working in the film industry a little bit as a stunt guy, obviously specialising in bikes, um, bikes and cars pretty much, uh, yep. as I grew up doing a lot of that. And uh, But you've got to be fairly well-rounded in Australia. They expect you to be good at everything, most things, at least capable you know, um, and then there was a guy, so Corey Creed, everyone knows Corey, X Games uh, quarter pipe guy. Um, we would work on set sometimes, we'd just pass each other. Hey man, yep. hey man, how you doing? So I thought we we're both kind of thinking separately, like, oh, we need to make this better, you know what I mean? Because when a coordinator, so when a film goes to, or when you want to make a film, right? Yeah. You've obviously got your directors and, and all that personnel, but you've also have your stunt coordinator. So they'll coordinate all the action sequences or whatever needs to happen. The coordinator needs a team of people. I yeah. need to be able to trust those people. Now, a lot of times in the film industry, you are hired because you can look like somebody. Yeah. Same height, same facial. You know, you kind of look, you know, that's where you class as doubling someone. You would double someone. You can double people that you don't look like, and that's quite possible as well. But sometimes you double because you do look like them. Um, so as a coordinator, coordinators have got to go, right, there's a database of, of athlete, uh, uh, performers, yep. customers, of stunties in Australia, and you have to find somebody that fits that role and fits that task, you're right? Yep. Might look like somebody, but they have to have a particular skill. Now, there is a database uh, in Australia that 
we're all on and it pretty much lists all your skills. Um, in Australia, the requirement for a car skill is you just have to do your defensive driving cert. So everyone says, I can drive a car, right? But that pool is massive. Yeah. But the skill level, depending on what they want, is quite small. Like, or who's capable of actually doing that Very skill? niche. Yep. Very niche. So um, accidentally, well, not really accidentally, but because of our background, obviously Corey and I specialise in bikes and cars and pretty much anything to do with vehicles. So we thought, let's come up with a company. That way, and we've got other people that work for us as well, but... Uh, anybody can reach out to us if they, hey, we need a driver or a rider. We, we need somebody. They know that when they hire us that there's nothing that's not really – there's nothing we can't do. Yeah. You know, so there's no – because a coordinator's got to try and pick somebody and go, he says he can drive or he can ride a bike. Gee, I hope he can. And the, the same thing, can you ride a bike just means you have a bike license. You know, so that you can imagine that the – The levels The are level there. is yeah. completely, you know, one, one – yeah, yeah. so – the, um, we just thought let's just make it easy for everyone. We will just have a, a good crew of solid people, you know. So when they hire us, they know that we can we can do it. So and we just call it the drivers because on set, they say, oh, we need the drivers, yeah. And they they just say we need the pretty much what they're saying. We need the guy that is employed to drive this car in the car, but they always call them the drivers. Yep. So I said to Corey, let's just call ourselves the drivers. Perfect. So we we started a, a company. Uh, we trademarked the name, and. Um, yeah, now it's uh, it's pretty well known in uh, in definitely in Australia. So and you've worked on some big programs already, hey? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the stuff has been uh, quite fun. I, I haven't. We worked on some big programs, uh, a lot of commercials and bits and yep. pieces like that. I haven't. I'm yet to work on a major major film. Like I'm talking hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar budget film. Yep. The reason for that is it takes a large chunk of time, and I haven't been able to. Racing is still a part of my life, so I haven't fully stepped away in order yep. to make that decision to do something like that. But the day will come when that will happen. So that'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be really, really cool to be that and um, and go. And that's the process that I'm going through um, now, and just making sure I'm quite equipped. And that's why I'm doing a lot of climbing and bits and pieces because um, rigging is such a large part of the film industry as well. Yep. So then uh, a year or so, whatever it was ago, I went and got all my, you have to do your doggers and then your riggers and then rope access and, and all this sort of stuff. So I go through the courses that you need to do, like legally, uh, and then you just need to spend a lot of time, um, you yeah, the climbing. Uh, we, I worked on a couple of rigging jobs recently as well. Uh, yep. And we're 10, 15 metres up in the trees and rigging all these this other big apparatus and bits and pieces up like that. Um, and rigging is kind of... It's it sort of got me at the moment as well because it's quite technical as well, and I don't understand a lot. What well, I don't understand, I haven't worked on a lot of elements of the rigging side yep. of it, but I'm really intrigued to learn. So at the moment, that's like my thing. You yeah, know, that's right. the thing I like to do, and I enjoy climbing at the moment, understand the bits of gear that you need, and and so forth. So and that comes back to your work as well. You'll be it does come back to work, work, but it yep. is separate from the driver. So yep. the you can't. We want the drivers to work no matter what. Regardless yep. if we're available or not, we'll always have a company that if we're not available, if Corey's not available, we have other people that are. Yep. So we obviously will put our front our stuff at the front, but not all jobs are driving or riding related. There's a lot yep. of times when you don't have a car or a bike or whatever on set. So you have to be your skill level needs to be quite diverse in, in other yep. areas as well. 
So you're keen to get in the film industry? Yeah, very. Pretty much, yeah. I'm, I'm keen to get into it full time. Yeah. Um, I've just I hold I hold myself back a lot at the moment just because of the racing and yep. I don't want to overcommit myself. It's not right for the people I work with in the film industry, and it's definitely not right for the people I work with in the motorcycle industry. Yeah. Um, because I'm still super passionate about riding bikes, you know, yep. and um, I and I just want to make sure, you know, I've been passionate about trying to make the sport better for other people as well. Yep. Um, I've had meetings with you know promoters and. MA and bits and pieces like that and this is all stuff that happens behind the scenes but I just want it to be better for, for everyone as well. Yep. So I'm, I'm passionate about the sport. Awesome. So, it's yeah. good to see your passion in there after so many years. Yeah, it is yeah. It is good. I, I, I do remember what that 2012, you know, there was no passion there yep. and I disliked it a lot and I definitely don't want to be back at that point and I don't think I will be yep. because I'll recognise it early on and um, and change my, my ways or know how i see the sport or what's expected of me through that time so um but yeah well mate well thanks for obviously we took the bikes out too so yeah that was fun yeah it feels like ages ago now but yeah uh, yeah. but that um, that was awesome thanks for thanks for coming for a ride and enjoying the harleys for the morning and uh yeah you're, you're an icon of australian sport and it's a name that doesn't get thrown around enough because some of the things you have done that People just don't get to hear about sometimes. Mm-hmm. So thanks for coming on. I no, hope we can pleasure. do a part two, mate, because literally I've got a whole page of other yeah. stuff I want to talk about. And that'd be awesome. Like I, there's, and we touched on such like ten percent of some yeah. of the stuff that's happened. You know what I mean? Like in terms of career wise, or not, I wouldn't say career wise, just the things that the funny stuff I've seen throughout. You know yep. what I mean? Like what, and and just bits and pieces like that. I've got so many stories from you know from uh, from all walks of life. You know that that's awesome. been through that. So I'd love to catch up again, and we can do this. Definitely, uh, part two. definitely excited to hear it. And you know, we spoke probably an hour before we even got onto this throughout yeah. the day. You're a good person to talk to. And uh, once again, thanks for your time, mate. No worries, mate. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Cheers.